Hello and welcome to the Success Secret Podcast with Rosso Santalev. I am excited to introduce you to a series of conversations with some of the most successful and inspiring individuals from various industries. My aim is to dive into the stories behind their success and explore the knowledge, strategies, habits, mindsets, and wisdom that have propelled their success. Each episode of the Success Secret Podcast will feature a different guest who will share their unique journey, the challenges they faced, and the lessons they have learned along the way. I will also be covering topics from entrepreneurship and innovation to leadership and personal development. Whether you are an inspiring entrepreneur, a seasoned business professional, or just someone looking to improve your life, the Success Secret Podcast is for you. My goal is to bring you valuable insights and inspiration that will help you achieve your own success in business and life. So get ready to learn and be inspired. The Success Secret Podcast starts now. Hello and welcome, Success Secret Nation, to this episode of the Success Secret Podcast with your host Hussein Talib. In this session or in this episode, we are I am going to be talking with Robert Brill on how to scale your advertising and the five elements that you need to make them successful. Robert has worked in advertising for 20 years and is the CEO of Brill Media, a digital advertising agency for scalable business growth. The company has been honored 10 times across Inc. 5000 and the Financial Times 500. Robert, welcome to the uh, Success Secret Podcast. Hussein, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I'm glad you are here with me in this one. First of all, I want to learn from you. What do you think? What is success to you and what do you see other people say or don't say about what success is? Success to me is freedom of time and freedom of money. It doesn't mean not working. It doesn't mean being independently wealthy. All that would be nice. But freedom for me is about doing the job and having doing, being able to do the work that I really enjoy doing, which is advertising and marketing. And I've been doing this for 20 years. And about 10 years ago, there was a pivot point. And I had to decide, am I going to keep working with his business in this in this industry or not? And I decided to go all in on starting my business because that's the only way I felt I could be happy doing this job. And then it's freedom of money, right? I, I want If I want to um, get the extra avocado on a hamburger, I don't have to look at the price. I'm okay with it, that type of thing, right? So... Um, you know, maybe one day I'll be independently wealthy. Who knows? But, you know, my, my goals are relatively uh, minimum, minimal. I want to, you know, go to 40 Dodgers games a year with my family and my five-year-old boy. That's success for me. Um, I think I think too many people misunderstand what success could possibly be because they misunderstand what it takes to make them happy. Too many people think that success... Our company is you know, a relatively small company in the grand scheme of things. There are multi-billion dollar multinational advertising agencies. I'm not trying to build that. I'm trying to create a business that creates freedom for myself, for my people, my employees, that creates freedom for our clients because we're doing good work for them. So really for me, it's about creating this experience of having a life that's worth living and that they enjoy. Everyone in my circle. That's uh, that's an amazing goal. Like this is what you want in general. You want yourself, your family, the people around you, maybe the community or the people or clients that you serve. Uh, you have this goal that you wanna reach out, reach, reach to, and that's the most important thing for success. Is actually like it's not directly related to monetary wise, but 
the choices that you can make is important. Yeah, definitely. So now you have the Brill Media Company and you are the CEO and you've been working in advertising for 20 years. So what is going on? What has changed changed in these 20 years now? Yeah. So when I started in advertising, um, so the first thing, the very first job I had that is part of my career, I was still in college. I was working at Universal Music and it wasn't called social. Yeah, it wasn't called social media. It was called guerrilla marketing. That's because it was even before MySpace, like Friendster was around. And our job was to go on forums and create personas, logins, and talk about stuff and eventually tell them the artists that were coming coming up, like Hoobastank, The Reason, and Method Man, and The Killers were new around that time. And one of the things that changed is fundamentally just the advent of social media, the idea that publishers can make money off of the content that other people create. We saw the rise of MySpace. We, in fact, we won an award for a movie we we ran uh, called When a Stranger Calls, where uh, we did some interesting marketing on MySpace and AOL Instant Messenger, where we created a bot. Now in 2024, everyone, their mother knows what a bot is, theoretically, knows how to use it with ChatGPT. But this was 2000, uh, by this time it was like 2006, I would say. It was really hard to get that to work. And the combination of our client, who was really amazing, and and the people I was working with, we I was spearheading, the I was like the project manager on all, all this project. And we won an award because we get people could call and talk to a version of the character. They could have a bot and they could interact with the person on MySpace. I watched MySpace decline and Facebook ascend. And every six months I was giving reports to the various clients that we had about, okay, should we be advertising on Facebook? What exactly is Facebook? Tell me about the newsfeed, all that stuff. And you know, the big, the biggest, most fundamental shift in advertising that I think is in a once in a generation shift is the shift from manual placement of ads to automated placement of ads. So anyone who buy ad, buys ads on Meta, Facebook, and Instagram, they're going in, they're identifying to the platform who they want to reach, the types of characteristics of those people. And when you see them, serve them up an ad and you set up a, a budget per day or per, per for the lifetime of the campaign. That fundamentally was did not exist when I started in advertising. And that shift is now how over 90% of all digital advertising is being transacted through automated systems, through bidding, through auctions. And I was fortunate to be in a position where I could take advantage of that and learn about that space and become a leader in that space. So that's the fundamental shift for any of the technology nerds out there. If you really want to dive deep, you really want to look into a few key phrases, programmatic advertising, programmatic, real-time bidding or RTB, um, and DSPs, demand-side platforms. Those are, if you want to dive into all that stuff. So that's what I knew how to do. And so now, as we are in 2024, the the primary way you buy digital advertising is through an auction. Television spending is declining. Digital advertising is increasing in terms of annual spend in the in, globally. And you know, our job as marketers is to tame the machines. Our job is to tend to the machines to make sure the machines do what is in the best interest of the advertiser.
that's our business definitely like because things had changed coming google back in the day they were the behemoth but when facebook came in and rose to that it changed everything now i think uh i'm not sure of the users their users or the use of google or facebook but they are in the billions who each higher i'm not sure <laughs> but <laughs> but the customers are there here on google or in facebook or some people they don't talk about bing i guess <laughs> it's after the picture <laughs> I mean, Bing is gaining market share. Google's revenue has declined just a little bit. Um, I think, I think the combination. I think AI is is look. I don't think Google's going away. Like, if you if you're worried about not you specifically, but like if people in general are worried about Google, like newspapers are still a thing, right? Barely anyone reads it, but there's still a business out there for that. Google isn't going to go away for at least thirty or fifty years, I think. But I think it will have face headwinds for two reasons. Number one, AI makes it more difficult for Google to serve up ads because people are going to go to ChatGPT or Bard or or Bing powered by ChatGPT to get information in a in a human narrative voice. And so there's fewer opportunities, still billions of dollars, but just fewer opportunities to serve up ads, which is which is a threat to Google's core business. The second thing is Google is facing antitrust headwinds in the United States and in other places around the world as well, which makes it harder for them to snatch up companies who may be smaller that they can, you know, maybe buy into the next big trend. Whereas Facebook that bought Instagram made a massive play for the future there. So you're seeing the you're seeing the the the, the situation where Microsoft could easily become in a few years, maybe a decade, a threat to Google, it, depending upon how the marketplace goes. And with so many other threats to Google, um, you really don't you really don't know where it's going to go. But I think Google will remain a strong business over the course of many years. Yeah, of course, because they 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 are the one that's the main business of Google is that they are getting revenues from ads, and it takes it's going to take time for for example Microsoft. But the thing is that about Microsoft, for example, or Bing, is they are they are I think they are making some kind of alliances with others other search engines or stuff like that. They aligned with Yahoo and a lot of things they are doing. Uh, yeah, and the social. But do you think in general like? Uh, people, when they are starting to look at uh, the advertising game, how they should look at it and what platform, because if we are saying, seeing the AI coming on and we can type anything in ChatGPT and get us the buyer's persona easier for a lot of people, but usually the price of a click, so the more people advertise, whether in Facebook or whatever, the prices and the uh, price per, per click will rise. So how is that going to solve the issue for the people who are advertising? Look, I think advertisers, just us included as, as an agency, our job is really to be agnostic. I, if if there are ads in ChatGPT tomorrow, then we'll be there running ads in ChatGPT if there are consumers there. Right, there's going to be ads on. Uh, there are there are already ads on Netflix. There will be ads on Amazon Prime in the United States. We'll run ads there. There are ads on Hulu. We're running ads there. So the success, and this is a this is a foundational point for any business. The success here is not 
how you run your advertising. Part of it is that, but much more importantly is why you're running where you're running. It's a strategy. The strategy is what helps you grow your advertising investment. It's it's not like, hey, I saw a headline that I should be running ads in Facebook. Or I or opposite, I saw a headline on a newspaper that I shouldn't be running or on a news site. I shouldn't be running ads on Facebook because my audience is not there. What you need is a strategy that helps you define the following things. What are you trying to achieve? When are you trying to achieve that goal by? Who is your audience? Like what media do they consume? Where do they go? What are they searching for? Why are they buying for you from you? What is the transformative value of your business to your customer? What have you done in the past with marketing and advertising that has worked or not worked? Please be on, you know, be honest with this. And all of that information, um, we also need economics. What's your customer acquisition cost? How long do customers stay with you? What's the lifetime value on average for your customer? All that information that needs to go and be paired up with an expert's opinion on how to achieve those goals. For many businesses, so in the United States, 45% of all digital advertising will go to either Meta or Google. So chances are you're probably going to be on Meta or Google. But the point is, you need a reason and a rationale for every part of your advertising strategy. So you need to have that strategy. The second component for success ultimately is going to be, think of an orchestra, an orchestra that creates a symphony. The pieces of the orchestra, the individual people who are playing the instruments, those are like the advertising channels. You take one out or you and you you isolate them, they don't sound as good naturally as the entire orchestra. The orchestra creates the symphony. The channels you run in the advertising campaign work together to grow a business. You really don't want to be in a position as a business or a marketing agency where you're saying, no, we shouldn't run Facebook ads because Google is doing better. Because guess what? The Facebook ads are feeding Google. You turn off Facebook, you are suffocating the ability for Google to turn off to to do better because you you turn off your demand, for example. Too many businesses aren't thinking about how all these platforms work together. They think they're they think they're um, competing with each other, and that's just not that's just not the way we see behaviors happen in the marketplace. So it's really important for businesses to work with individuals or agencies that are experts in the business. Mm. Definitely, like, and, and I have seen articles actually. A lot of people talking about uh, Twitter or X ads, though the number of let's say uh, uh, users there is significantly lower than Facebook or Google, but they're talking about the uh, not the conversion but the return on investment on their ads. So. Well, the reason that's happening is because, no offense to X, but X is not a particularly good ad platform. There's a few prob- There's a few problems with X. Number one, you have large businesses, multinational corporations with tens of millions or hundreds of millions or billions of dollars in revenue, right? Or, you know, looking at Meta, they're close to a trillion dollars. Apple is a trillion dollar company. If your ads appear next to someone condoning hate speech, now that affects your brand and that affects how likely people are going to buy your brand or whatever the language is, negative imagery, you know, 
brands are very protective of the brand because it's a thing. It's it's such an important part of how people make decisions. Do they like your business? Do they not like your business? And if you're sponsoring something or your ads are supporting something that is um, to a detriment of what society deems appropriate, then you have a problem. That's number one. That's always been the case on X. I think that's increased over the years, um, over the last five years on X. The second thing that's also happened on X or formerly Twitter is that their ad platform just isn't that good. Like the best al the best advertising algorithm in the marketplace is 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 owned by Meta. Because Meta has 10 or 15 or 20 years of data from all of us, both on Instagram and Facebook, also WhatsApp, also Pandora and Spotify, all the places you log in with Facebook. Meta is getting that data about your activities off platform. And that's why one of the key reasons why Meta is such a big, valuable company, almost a you know three quarters of a trillion dollars, is because its algorithm is so strong at pairing up the right people with the right messages, advertising messages or just organic content messages. So when you look at the value of X, the problem with X is that it doesn't have a particularly strong algorithm. And a lot of that has to do with how the algorithm has been set up and the fact that it never, it ne like I don't know the technical components of it, but it ultimately hasn't been curated as effectively or developed as effectively as, as Meta has. Definitely, like yeah, the the, the the issue that there is like basically like I mentioned, uh, they're using these log even simple things like login via Facebook or login via Google or login via. These things they can be used on the back end of these algorithms or AIs of these companies to have this data for them, and actually Twitter does not have that much for it. So <clears throat> you talked about uh, the programmatic ads and another type of ad. So uh, as a podcast host, I see some kind of a, what's called programmatic ads. I think uh, so. These so so these things might be like the ones that you are going to be talking about or something different. It's basically the inserting the the ad into an audio in the pre-roll, mid-roll, and end-roll of the episode. So can you expand on these two? Yeah, absolutely. So this is either for podcasting or when you go to your local news and sports site or a blog or a forum, whatever the case is, you're online. Or, or also for podcasts. There's an auction. And the auction happens in milliseconds. In that auction, there's there's the publisher or the owner of the ad inventory. So not your, not your podcast, but the company that's inserting the ads into the podcast, whoever that company is. So what happens is there's an auction and the, and the publisher or the owner of the inventory says, look, this is, these are the characteristics of the people listening to the podcast or on, or when you're online, you're saying these are the characteristics of the person who's loading up the webpage, 40 to 45 man lives in Los Angeles, married, likes dogs, doesn't play an instrument, likes to go on vacations to Hawaii, whatever the case is. So there's a series of characteristics. Then there's a bunch of different advertisers. Let's say there's a hundred different advertisers. PetSmart wants to serve me an, an ad about dog food. Guitar Center wants me to serve me an ad to learn about playing the piano. Apple wants me to serve me an ad for the new iPhone and on and on and on. All these different companies set a bid parameter and they essentially say, this person, based on the data we have, is worth X amount of dollars to me. 
and the the advertiser that wins that auction who bids the highest gets to place the ad the publisher inserts the ad then the publisher tells the advertiser hey what did you do what happened did someone take action already did they click did they buy something afterwards there's some data that gets passed back and that's happening in milliseconds billions of times a day with lots of money transferring this ecosystem and that's essentially what happens and in 2010 this was a very novel idea now it's like 90% of digital advertising happens this way that's what's happening very impressive the things are revolving quickly in this in this regard and with ai a lot of things the ai existed a long time ago like i think google would won't be exi- would won't exist without Uh, AI initially, I guess. (laughs) Google and Meta. I mean, Meta as well. People talk about, you know, how how is AI used in advertising? Every Every ad that's delivered on Meta is a result of AI and machine learning. Understanding the way Meta works. Meta understands a lot about us. So just how I described that data. Meta understands my general profile in my macro profile and my micro profile. So like if I go to a page and then add something to cart and then walk away from it or, you know, surf away from it, Meta will give me an ad for something similar, a competing product. The way it does that, when we run ads in Meta, and this is one of the key foundational sort of components of the methods and practices that work right now in digital advertising, we don't serve ads based on keywords or interest lookalikes or remarketing or retargeting. That's the old way of running ads. The new way of running ads on Meta for the last few years has been broad targeting age, gender, and location. Age is, you know, for me, I sell to people, you know, I sell to agencies and some businesses. So I say my ads are going to go to age 25 to 65, let's say, right? Because 65 is about the age you retire. So if you're over 65, chances are you're not working anymore. That's number one. Gender, men and women, because both men and women can be my clients. Location, I'm in Los Angeles. We serve everyone across the United States. So targeting people all across the United States. I'm serving ads to 140, uh, the eligible audience is 140 million people in the United States but I can only really sell to about 80,000 people. Let's say there's 40,000 agencies in the United States. Each of them have two decision makers that I can sell to, let's say. So how is it possible that I can serve ads targeting 140 million people, but reach the right 80,000 that submit their information that turns into business? The reason that's possible is because you're using the power of Meta's machine learning algorithm. Over time, we train Meta to understand who our best customers are. And there's two ways we do that. Number one is with broad targeting that I just broke out for you. The second component is creative testing. Every month we cycle through new new ads to understand how we can talk to our customers over time. And over, over time we start to understand which of those creative executions really resonates. And even within one month, we start with five ads Here's here's something interesting. Five ads. On Meta, you have three basic ad components. You have the primary text at the top. 
the image or video in the middle, and the headline at the bottom. There's other things like descriptions and call to action. We don't worry about that. If you make five ads and you disassemble them, you have five headlines, five images, and five primary texts. If you combine them in all the possible combinations, there are 125 possible combinations. So you created five ads, but really you have 125 ads. So we do control and variable testing on Meta, scientific. And after the course of a month, we know which one out of the 125 resonates for our business or our client's business. Month two, we do it again. Month three, we do it again, et cetera. Six months in, you have six all-star ads. And most of your sales and most of your leads are coming from the all-star ads. And that's how we scale up meta advertising so that we can spend far more in six months than we do today. And it works well for our clients. It works well for our business as well. No, so that's that's the way you do meta in 2024. And, and it has been like that for a few years. If you are running ads, keywords, interests, lookalikes, and retargeting, that is way too granular. You're not using it the way you want, the way you want meta to use it. And by the way, this is, I'd like to take credit for all this, but Meta has something called the Performance 5. The Performance 5 goes into detail about this. It's is not me coming up with this out of the blue. This is what Meta, this is how Meta says they want us to use their platform. Mm, yeah, like because most most of the people who teach advertising, for example, and not specifying anyone in general, but it's always been the talk that you need to specify now, of course, it depends sometimes on the product. It's about males. Or this is something different but sometimes. But uh, in general, it's like you have to identify your audience, check the interests, pick the interests that are exactly the same. But what you are talking here now is like basically you have to take it abroad because you don't know exactly. Maybe someone uh, likes something, but they are not liking a certain page about what they like but from tracking their activity online for example facebook knows from its algorithm that this person likes this thing there's a few there's a few reasons why this this is the case number 1 the keyword and interest targeting is getting less and less effective for and and the reason for that is twice two reasons number 1 meta isn't updating it as much as they could be it's old technology the second thing is there's antitrust headwinds uh, and legislation that combats the ability to use this in 20 uh, to use this effectively for Meta to keep it up. In I think it was 2018. I could be wrong. Mark Zuckerberg um, testified in front of Congress about the Cambridge Analytica um, debacle. So just take that as one piece of evidence. The next piece of evidence is that, or the next sort of thing to consider is that prior to that. Different data companies were pushing their data and making it available for advertisers on Meta. Axiom, Nielsen, Experian, I, I know definitely Axiom and a bunch of others were that data. So Axiom is a big data company in the United States. They, they collect household data. They look at what how people live their life, urban, suburban, kids, presence of cars, all that stuff. And it's a, it's a data company. Axiom's data was in Facebook. And after the Cambridge Analytica debacle and testimony in front of Congress, 
Facebook cut off and made it so that third-party data providers could no longer provide their data to, to Facebook. So you have a space where there are antitrust and legislative headwinds against Meta that make it hard for them to allow for granular data targeting. Another example of this is in the United States, there are laws against preventing people or companies from um, disenfranchising protected parties. So for homes, if you're gonna if you're gonna if you're gonna put a, a a classified ad to rent your apartment or to sell your home, there can be no targeting whatsoever by age, race, or gender, because there was discrimination in the past, like many decades ago, and there were laws that said you cannot discriminate on the basis of age, race, ethnicity, um, etc., uh, uh, gender. And a few others. That that's not ex that's not everything, but that's just the ones that come to mind. What was happening on Meta is that people were doing the exact thing they were they were legally not allowed to do. So Meta made it so that if you're running ads for anything related to a home, an Airbnb, renting an apartment, selling a home, whatever the case is, all the targeting for age, gender, and ethnicity is taken away. So if I want to target an ad to to rent my Airbnb, fifty mile radius, all ages, you know, every everyone eighteen plus, men and women, there's almost no targeting available for that, because that's another example of the legal headwinds that Meta faces, because their platform is so powerful. So you just have these series of trends that make it such that we're going to a place where broad algorithmic targeting is the way to make advertising perform. And by the way, it's not just on Meta, it's also on Google, it's also on TikTok. On Google, you have Performance Max, which literally just says, upload a bunch of assets, text, images, videos, tell me who you generally wanna target and we'll just serve up ads everywhere. Gmail, YouTube, Google search, you cannot tell it where to run, we'll just run everywhere. On TikTok, you have smart ads. Same thing. You upload a bunch of ads. You give it some general information about who you want to target, and it's off to the races. So we're getting to this place where legal and antitrust headwinds make it such that these technology companies have to create black box algorithmic systems, which means you're taking advantage of some of the most powerful systems in the world to grow your business but it also means that you have to work differently. And if you're if you're relying on your knowledge from the year 2015, it's old school knowledge at this point. It's nine years ago now, and you really should be um, upping your game and, and learning the most recent capabilities and trends of these platforms. Yeah, definitely. Because people would think that if you use these kind of things, if they are available, interest in these kind of things, and it will reduce the cost per click or cost per impressions and all of that. But you, there are two components to this. So the broad, starting with the broad targeting and the creative testing, which is also very important. Like creative testing, when you have these five ad combinations going to 125 ads, basically, and you are seeing after a month or two or three months that... One month. One month, you will know exactly which one is your best so let's say 10 of them are are performing great and the rest are not so you just simply cut the, the uh, 
Look, it's easier and it's better because you know what? Who's going to be smarter? The algorithm or the person? I'm going to bet on the algorithm. If it's if it's a developed algorithm, I'm betting on the algorithm because it can just process so much information and learn so many things so much faster. Our job as humans, so there's you know, this idea of tending to the machines is, is again, not my idea. I'm just regurgitating information I've heard. So there's a theoretical physicist. His name is Michio Kaku. And he talks about the future of our civilization. He talks about monetary systems and information communication and all that stuff. And one of the, and that that's his idea. One of the things he says is as we evolve who we are as a species, um, we will, we will do, the machines will do the hard work. We will be the tenders of the machine. It's just like when you're flying an aircraft. I mean, most of the work on an air, on a jet plane is, is happening like the jet is doing it. It's on autopilot. There's two things you need to, there's three things you need to do. Manage the takeoff, manage the landing, and just pay attention while you're in flight. <laughs> That's what we're doing. That's our job. <laughs> yes. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. but the, but the issue is like back in the day the, when advertising. I actually used to advertise in Facebook uh, when I had an e-commerce business. So the issue was with us like, um, is Facebook doing the right thing for me or for them? Like, how can I trust Facebook to actually give me the 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 least minimum for the for the ad? So that was one question of the things. So this is why a lot of us used to try to as much as possible to try to minimize the cost of a click with a maxima maximize the results of the clicks on the website or the purchase. So these a lot of things. So here's the answer to that. Here's the answer to that. In 2024, the answer to that is the following. All other things being equal. So the same targeting objective. So let's say we're targeting e-commerce sales. Sale, the objective is sales. If your creative is good, your CPM is lower. If your creative is gets higher over time, it means people don't like your ads. Higher CPM means it's a create it's a, a, a nuisance tax because you are not giving the people on the platform a great experience, and Facebook will reward advertisers who give business who give um, their users a better experience in the form of more interesting ad creative. Yeah, because generally Facebook or Google or YouTube, they want to keep people in that platform. And for some reason or other, if they are going to go to other websites, they want them to go back after that in general. So this is one of the reasons they want to have a good experience with that. Because if the site maybe had a bad experience with that, the the to them that's Facebook representing to them that ad so that's it's 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 kind of like that it's kind of like that I guess yeah so uh, Robert what can else can you can anyone do now to improve their uh, creatives like the details of it like for example like I'm sure you know like you can put a video or an image. I don't want to talk about that, which is better, because eventually I believe maybe video is better than image, but also images can work highly well also. Images work. Images work in ugly ads. Ugly, sorry, sorry. Ugly ads work really well too. <laughs> yes, they do sometimes, yes. If they are funny or something. But also in regards to text, 
in the in the in the ad itself so uh, in general should, do you think that there should be some kind of a long copy for it or do you think that the advertisers should also go to the point directly and immediately and not make people read also if they want to read the text or do you think from your experience the text is not important people usually see the image or the video and make their decision based on that So the answer to the question is you've got to create enough ads and enough variations to appeal to as many people as possible. So I'll, I'll tell you what I mean. When you're in school, there's some people, I've learned this later in life, right? There's some people who are visual learners. Like they're not going to actually understand what's happening until they, unless they can see something with their eyes. There's other people who are tactile learners. In order for them to learn something, they have to actually do it. And then there's other people who are like auditory learners. You you explain something well and they'll understand it. Those, you can think of that as a rule to keep in mind when you're running ads. There's some people who want long text because that's the way their mind works. They want to understand more things. There's other people who want short text. They will respond to that. There's other people who want long videos and others for short videos. There's other people who want ugly ads and other people who want beautiful glossy ads. So part of part of the reason, part of the power of the creative testing framework is you fundamentally have an opportunity to tell your same story, deliver your same message in ways that will appeal to different types of people. Like another another example is like when you talk about creative work, there's like whether it's an image or a video, it doesn't matter, but there's glossy like well-produced, looks very stylized, it looks professional. On the other end of the spectrum, there's UGC, user-generated content. There's people on TikTok and YouTube and X who know how to create videos or images showing how your, your product is being used. And they look very authentic, real, gritty, no fancy lighting, weird shadows, the whole thing, and it just looks authentic. That works really well. So you've got to create different types of ads for different types of people. You're testing concepts month by month to provide that opportunity to appeal to a wider range of potential customers. Definitely. The most important thing is to test, test and test, I guess, right? Never stop. <laughs> Definitely. So, uh, Robert, what can you add to this uh, that you might think that's important to this episode? Yeah, look, I think I think the the biggest mistake entrepreneurs and business owners make is um, they don't value the expertise that people have. When you're hurt, you go to a doctor. You don't go to your neighbor. When your car is broken, you go to a mechanic because... A mechanic knows how to fix your car. Your neighbor probably don't doesn't unless he's a, he or she is a mechanic. Save yourself hundreds or thousands of hours doing it wrong and tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars doing it wrong because a lot of people who are spending money on Facebook or TikTok or Google or Hulu or whatever the case is, they don't know how to do it well. And that's fine. There's a, Like, I don't know how to do anything well except advertising. And that's it. Take, be good to yourself and be kind to your business and give your business a chance to succeed by working with an expert. It doesn't have to be us, but just save your time 
save your money. That's that's the thing I think most business owners need to hear that will pay for expertise to accelerate your business. Yeah, definitely. And and usually you can you can run ads as much as you are making profit for almost infinity until you read the until the ad I think reaches some kind of a plateau mode and that maybe a month, six months, a year. I have seen some ads that run for three, four, five years and they're still running. So I'm sure they are I'm sure they are profitable. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Well Robert, where can people get in touch with with you and learn more about you and what you do? Yeah. Absolutely. Our website is brillmedia.co, B as in boy, R-I-L-L, media.co. Uh, hit the start now. Reach out to me. We'll have a strategy conversation. And uh, if you're a, if you're an aspiring advertising agency owner or you're a salesperson that has experience in media or pharmaceutical or real estate and you want to switch careers, we're creating a, an agency accelerator course. I feel going back to the very beginning of our conversation, we all deserve to have the freedom to live the lives that we want to live. And you may want to stop. You may, you may want to not have to deal with corporations anymore. You don't want to ask for time off from your boss or to leave early so you can play with your kid or go on a vacation or whatever the case is. So if you want that level of freedom, but still want to work hard, join our agency accelerator program. We'll give you everything you need so that you can sell marketing and advertising services and have white label fulfillment and grow your business that way and, and arguably make more money than you're currently making. Mm, cool. That's an amazing uh, offer. <laughs> awesome. Thank you, Robert, for being with me on this episode of the podcast. Thanks, Hussein.